Hello, and welcome to Comedians Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to amazing, fascinating people from across the globe. They're very adventurous, they've got very unique points of view that inspire comedians like you and me to live this comedy journey on our own terms. Now, today's guest is amazing. She is poetic in her writing. She will turn your writing jokes into something like Mozart. She is a lady who I would say is a lot like um, macaroons in France in the beauty of the writing and a style. She is, has influenced many comedians across the globe with, their write, with her unique insights into writing. She is a writing connoisseur. She spent over a decade in comedy and she wrote the famous book, The Serious Guide to Joke Writing. Please welcome the stage, the sumptuous, the brilliant Sally Holloway. <laughs> I'm laughing. Did you, how long did you take to write that? That was. The, <laughs> I've never heard myself described in such glowing terms. So thank you. I hope I can live up to it in this in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. It was just on the fly. I just think of what. How no, can I be a Shakespeare to all the people that I interview? <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a pleasure to have you here. And like. You've had many tales. We've had a lot of interesting chats already before the podcast. And like, how did your journey start, Sally? You said you started from 29. Like, What, what yeah. made you as a 29-year-old lady said, right, I want to make drunken hecklers at Jungler's Laugh? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't exactly like that. When I was 29, <laughs> I went into therapy, actually, and I realised that I wasn't going to get married and have children. And um, prior to that, I was thinking this this was my path um, and not understanding why none of my relationships worked. And and then I went into therapy and I thought, God, I've got absolutely no intention of getting married and having children. How fascinating. So what else do I want to do? Me? What do you want to do? And it was comedy. I loved comedy. Um, I had no idea how to start out. I just was watching it on the telly and I was in London, so I was going to the clubs. And luckily, Time Ad put out put an ad in for um, a comedy class and along I went and, yeah. And, and I, I felt when I was in the class, I was the most desperate person there. And I one week got up and said that. I said, I'm completely desperate for this. And then I was terribly, terribly embarrassed that I'd admitted that to the class. But out of that class, I'm the only person who made it as a comic. So I think desperation is a real key. <laughs> desperation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I knew I wasn't going to do normal. And so I had to make this work. I had to make comedy work, yeah. I, I hope you don't shout at me for this, but what's it called? Um, do you know Stephen Bartlett? No. He's a new Dragons and Dragons Den, and oh, he okay. became like he, he started businesses when he was fourteen, and he became right. he's a millionaire businessman and the youngest dragon at the age of twenty nine. And he right. says that um, insecurity, seeing other kids get a lot of bigger stuff, was a bigger driving force to get him to where he is. Mm. Is that part of what you say that sometimes drives comedians and maybe yourself when you put stuff? Well, in? I mean, there are lots of theories about comedians having. Um, parents who aren't alive, difficult childhoods, all the rest of it. Um, I think lots of people have difficult childhoods, but I do, yeah, we're driven. to, to It's walking the line to get up on stage in front of a load of strangers and 
and you're going to win them over with your words, not only are they going to like you, they're going to laugh at everything you say and find it brilliant. If you need to do that, you're <laughs> you've got something serious going on. Yeah. Yeah, to drive you to do that. And also what you have to go through to get to that stage. Because even if you're quite funny with your mate, when you first start out as a comic, translating that into an actual act is quite an effort. And you have quite, a, most people have a few deaths along the way and you have to take it. You have to take it, yeah. And what? how did you start off? I mean, what, like you're, you're, you're well renowned for being the, the that brilliant book the serious guide to joke writing and were you like a gag merchant when you started out or did you sort of swerve into that no i right from the beginning uh before i could perform very well at all so i'd get up i'd do a really mediocre gig and the other acts would say to me wow you've got great jokes and i wish i have your jokes and if you ever give up please can i have your jokes that's how it went yeah it was um so i was always a gag merchant I was in my 20s, I was always desperate for the um, the laugh. My brain was uh, always looking, which made me, I think, difficult to have normal conversations with. But um, <laughs> And so when I went on the circuit, I, I, yeah, I had a really high standard of joke in my act. And I think that the book was born from me analyzing how those jokes were written and then trying to write more. Yeah. Okay, so is is there like you've done a lot of workshops in that, and like when I look at the book, there's lots of different methods that you got for it. Like, how did you? It must have taken years and years for you to really analyse and get all those tens of different methods. So. Well, that's quite interesting because it didn't really. I only oh. had, I only had a few methods when I started teaching. The way what what happened with the teaching was I used to sit around in dressing rooms analysing jokes. And Hills Yego, who runs Amuse Moose in London, was a friend of mine. And she said to me, I'm starting these courses. Why don't you teach joke, teach joke writing? And I said, why, why have you chosen me? And she said, I can just see the way you think. If you can explain that to a group. And so I said, OK. And so I did three weeks. And I managed to fill that with things that I was already doing. And then the next year, she said, could you do six weeks? And I said, yes. And I had three weeks to fill. And so I had to invent, <laughs> I had to invent joke writing exercises, which I did. And I think a couple of them were successful, one wasn't. And then I started my own courses and I was just, again, had just time to fill. And so I would invent methods. And by this time I'd given up comedy and I used to think, oh, I wish I'd had this when I was a comic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Oh, this is great, because um, there, there, <laughs> there wasn't that book. I was writing the book I needed when I was that. Yeah. So, um, so actually, I, I just had two or three methods, just, which, which were kind of almost uniquely mine, and I did used to share them with other acts. Um, but no, some of them I just, I just invented. But I have used them because I have done quite a bit of writing since then. And I do use my own methods. I, you know, I'll, if I've got to formalise joke writing, if I've got to write about something that it's not natural to for me to write about, I will do it, and it and and they work. <laughs> I'm pleased to say, yeah. 
With your sort of creation of these techniques, did you use what like David Brailsford did in terms of like he did economics and he focused on marginal gains to develop that? And you hear sometimes like Muhammad Ali when he was learning the trash talk, he looked at wrestling to incorporate and boxing. Did you use other fields of expertise to build your wrestling joke right, or did it just come to you? Possibly because I used to do a lot of improvisation classes when I was first an act in order to learn performance skills because I prior to being stand-up comic I had never done anything I I yeah I I was just a, just a girl who worked in an office who decided to do stand-up and there were all these people I'm an actor darling oh I've been a magician I all this and you know I'd worked in an office and so I started doing all these classes just to make me more actuary but actually impro's got a lot of interesting skills that, that you learn when you do it and, and and not least about trusting yourself and about pushing things to the limit and i think i i used a lot of that in my teaching as well yeah okay and what's been like the what's been like the feedback when you had the book do you get people like yo dog that book is good or like, do you get people <laughs> saying Oh my God, your book is dashing like fish and chips. Well, it's a long time. Cause, you know, it's, is it 12 years since? Yeah, it's 12 years since it came out. And at first, I used to get a lot of fan mail. I used to get a real lot of fan mail. And people sending me jokes that they'd written as a result of specific exercises. And that was, that was really nice because I was thinking, wow, there's more jokes in the world because I wrote that book. How amazing. Yeah, that's, that's such a great feeling. And also, I wasn't very well for, for quite a few years, and I would be sitting in my dressing gown, and you forget that you're a writer with a quite well-known book out there. And so I'm, you know, stopping about in my dressing gown, and I put the computer on, and somebody's written this glowing, <laughs> hello. And, <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is really fantastic. So it was, it was, it was a wonderful thing, yeah. <laughs> so I did get a lot of accolades in, in the beginning, yeah. Nowadays, I get the odd one, maybe two or three a year, that's all people write. But I think I'm harder to find now, because I used to have a website, so they used to be able to, but I don't even have a comedy website anymore, so, uh -huh. yeah, they can't so, find me. Am I, am I the, the first one this year? <laughs> um, yeah, how did you find me? How did, how, you know, you, you came through Facebook, didn't you? Well, I saw that you, I thought, I'd, I read the book, I thought you'd be, like one of the things of the podcast is I love it. It's a lot of fun and I like to learn and get different in, in ideas and get better as a comic. And I thought, you know, I read this book a while ago. I thought Sally Holloway, she was a former comedian. I thought she'd probably know a few people I know, do a little search and then boom. Uh, yeah, you found me. Okay. Oh, great. Well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah, I'm a bit reclusive these days. Sorry about that. I mean, did, do you want me to keep that secret? Like, you want to keep no. seek hidden by others? Are you an agent, Sally? No, no, no. It's fine. <laughs> fine. If they if they find me, they find me. Because <laughs> I'm under a slightly different name as well. So, but we won't say what that is, shall we? So, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've issued a challenge, haven't we? <laughs> yes. Go and find them. <laughs> I do remember that I get so few that I reply to everyone. <laughs> I always reply immediately. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, guys, if you, she will respond, okay? <laughs> if you put the work in, you'll find her. <laughs> now, 
Well, that, so you did stand up for a while. How long did you do it for? Like a decade? And then... 11 years. Like, what was it that made you, you mentioned it before, like you didn't like the cut, the brutality of the clubs, was it? Or the doing all these... That wasn't why I gave up. I gave up because um, I got ill. I got, I had an operation and I got in, an infection. And then I just had this horrible vague fatigue thing where everybody goes, oh, it's all in your head. But actually, 20 years on, it's I've, I still suffer a bit from it, which is why I don't do so much. Um, and I, you know, nowadays they've got all sorts of tests you can have that say, oh yes, you really are ill. But back then, it was it was really horrible. I remember being in a dressing room because first of all, I kept trying to keep going, and I just did a couple of gigs a week. And I didn't tell many people, but I was in a dressing room talking to somebody who was quite close to it and who was sympathetic to me. And somebody in the dressing room did that cough thing and they went, <coughs> it's all in your mind. And I just remember just thinking, oh my God, this is really horrible. Um, and I basically, because because I was still gigging, I was doing boom and bust. So I would go out, the adrenaline, Dr. Dr. Comedy or Dr. Footlights, as they call it, would get me on stage and I would gig. I was so ill afterwards that I I would have to literally lay in bed and then do another gig. And I did that for a year and a half because I just assumed I'd get better. You know, you never dream that, oh, well, this is just going to go on forever. It's a bit like nowadays, it, you know, there's long COVID and people understand it a bit more. But back then, um, like I said, you were just mad. And um, in the end, I thought I'm going to have to give up, which meant selling my house. And um, yeah, gave up my career and my house all within weeks of each other. And it was it was a weird time. Um, One of the things that I find quite interesting about the podcast is sometimes I get people that have switched careers. So I spoke to Joanne Lau, who became a screenwriter from comedy, and then I speak to different like Jeff Whiting. He was a musician before he became a full-time stand-up right. comic, and yeah. it's it's funny how sort of things fall together, don't they? And did that sort of in terms of like you want to be a comic? But in the end, you sort of, you've now fallen into writing as your full. I have. Um, and this is going to sound weird, but one of my other things I do, I'm, I'm very into health and health food because of what's happened to me. And I do do um, workshops under a different name about um, healthy foods. <laughs> and yeah, so I've got these two different parts to me as well but I it's interesting because um, I do quite funny workshops I use all the skills of, of that I learn as a comic and and also I've got performing skills you know so even just me standing there I'm not mumbling I'm being very clear just because that's what you have to be as a comic um, so I've got another offshoot and I've written a couple of books under a, a different name about health stuff yeah Oh, plug, plug them in at the end, please. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, and now I'm writing a memoir. Now I'm writing a memoir, yeah. Not, okay, what kind of memoir? <laughs> it's actually, it's not a, a specifically comedy memoir. That will be, um, there'll be bits of it in there just because comedy was probably the most exciting part of my life. You know, I'm getting on a bit now. And when I look back, those 11 years of being a stand-up were just, they stand out as, wow, that was amazing. What a fantastic thing to do. I went around the world. Well, I mean, I've 
probably only went to four or five countries, but to me, <laughs> you know, it was so great. I, you know, we talked before about getting in a car and going to Birmingham um, and in the journey itself, because you'd be in a car with the three other acts and, and back then um, the internet was in its infancy and the internet was people in comedians in cars swapping stories about another gig. And then the next night you get in a different car with different comedians and you'd all swap the stories you'd heard and you'd tell them about the gig the night before. And there was everybody knew what was going on in the circuit. Everybody knew who was doing well. Everybody knew somebody died. <laughs> it was an amazing, it was an amazing time. Yeah. Hmm. And it's still pretty much the same now in that regard. People it's always talk. Oh, okay. I suppose, but it's easier because you've got Twitter or and all of that. Yes, that's Maybe, true. Yeah, we did. We didn't. We didn't have that. We just had. I think um, when I started out, I had a pager. If my agent wanted to get hold of me, he used to page me, and then I'd phone. That's mm. how they. Uh, that's how long ago I was doing comedy. <laughs> it's um, yeah. It's. Now, with sort of, um, do you still keep in touch with a lot of comics and like see what's going on? Yeah, and Facebook really helped with that. Once I went on Facebook, they're all there, and it's and there's a few that I was particularly friendly with. It's a real shame I never became friends with anybody who's a really massive star. <laughs> you know, there's a few massive stars out there who I knew. You know, I definitely knew them, but I wasn't in there in a circle and and my in the circle none of us got really really famous <laughs> which is such a shame <laughs> but you got you got became a pro comic though like, and you yeah oh i became a pro comic yeah 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 but it's... not yeah but not mega stardom i knew dylan moran and he's now in hollywood films yeah i knew lee mack and he's you know all over all the telly knew tim vine you know lots of them all started out at the same time as me and um, yeah, it's great. It's it's a surreal thing though, isn't it? Sometimes when you see, it's a surreal thing to see comics that you started off with. It's a good, I, I feel like if you see a Hollywood actor on TV, you don't feel anything. But when you see someone you know, you feel like, this feels weird. Like I just knew you like a few years ago and I was in a pub and now you're here. Yeah, because there's Mackenzie um, Crook because he was in all the Pirates of the Caribbean and he was in there's a brilliant um sitcom he was in as well which i can't oh the one where he's the, the detectorist and i watched that without even thinking oh gosh i knew him 20 years ago and i did a week's tour in greece with him we went we went to greece together <laughs> me and mackenzie and we did gigs and he was he must have been about 23 24 um and um yeah i i watch him now without it really registering and the same the first five years that I gave up comedy I couldn't really watch comedy on telly because I knew it was too close to it and I knew too many people and I knew everybody on Mock the Week and stuff like that but now I watch um, telly and there can be people who I've you know sat in cars with and I just laugh away as any audience member would you know I, it's long gone to me now yeah and I just admire their talent and their persistence yeah no. It is incredible. It's 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 it, no. It's 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 never it's never a bad thing to see people you know do well. It just feels weird, but yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I want to say with like people say that MCing is a completely different art, and people say that co some comics are performers, some are writers. 
but with sort of when you did all these writing workshops did you notice certain things in certain comics that would do really well with it and ones that didn't like what was their mindset how did they act what was their I think, um confidence is a massive thing um you know i the I don't know if you know Jeff Innocent, the comedian Jeff Innocent. Oh, yeah. But he, I remember when he first started, so he was a new act on the circuit. And he literally, I think he was already into his 40s. And he was so confident that within three months of starting comedy, he was doing um, paid spots. You know, because he just had it. He just had this thing. So confidence is, is probably the first thing you need. Um, some people have a natural, you know, people come from funny families. I mean, my brother is really funny. Um, and I was brought up um, around kind of funny people. And so I think you you don't even think about it. I mean, I know I wrote that book, but, but I was just analyzing what I'd probably picked up as a child about how to turn something around to make it a joke. Because I just was brought up amongst, amongst my, you know, my brother doing that. Um, and some people turn up in the class and that's what they do. You know, before you've even shown them a joke writing method, they're, they're, they're off doing their thing. Um, and I think um, having watched a lot of acts start, you know, in the 11 years I was on the circuit, you, you do get acts that are confident, that are naturally funny, and they still don't make it. And it's because they haven't got a work ethic. Or they, or they drink too much. And I know that might sound odd with um, comedians, but if you're drinking so much that you, you get up and you're hungover every day and you don't write and you don't phone for gigs. I mean, back then you had to phone for gigs and, and promoters didn't answer the phone that often. So you had to phone and phone and phone and you had to be logical and organized, you know? And then there were acts who really hit the circuit running because they were funny, they were confident, they had an act, they phoned for gigs, and then they never wrote another joke again. They got their 20 minutes <laughs> and they were like, and then they kind of almost became too afraid to do, it was like, oh yeah, that works now and I can't never do anything else. So there's all these pitfalls. We should do a, um, a Snakes and Ladders game for being be a comic <laughs> and you can put all the pitfalls along the way. Ooh, drinking too much, down you go. <laughs> Ooh, can't be bothered to write jokes, down you go. So yeah, there's all sorts of things. And then there's the other thing is I think family commitment. Because I was said to you earlier, I realized I wasn't gonna um, get married and have children. And that was huge. It meant I was me, 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 me. And me, 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 me was comedy. That's all I cared about, you know? And I think if you've got kids to feed, to get to school, you know, a family to support, you can't muck around on the open spot circuit if, you, if, if you've got a family to support, unless you've, you know, got an amazing job mm. that's doing that and giving you lots of free time to do the writing, to do the phoning, you know? So there's lots of, there's lots of things. Yeah, lots of elements. Yeah, it's funny you say that because with Richard Pryor, I mean, because his crutch was the drugs, they say that when he was off it, he wasn't as funny. And I see quite a few times like comedians drink a couple of beers before they go on stage. And it's like, because you're being funny with that, you're dependent on it rather than just yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I When I started out, because I was a bit of a binge drinker in my 20s, and when I started comedy at 29, I thought I don't want to get hooked on having to have a drink before I go on stage because I want to make this my living. 
and if I'm dependent on I've got to have a drink, that's that's just not going to work, you know. So I was deliberate about it. I mean, I think small amounts of drink or drugs might be performance in performance enhancing, um, <laughs> but really, you need your brain. And I know some drugs can help your brain, especially if you're on a tough night and there are lots of hecklers. You need to be thinking twice as fast as the hecklers, you know. Mm. So drink might give you confidence, um, but I'm not sure it's going to help your brain, you know. But I mean, I'm not. This is not me being preachy. I think if it works, do it. For you, you know. But I'm talking for myself, and I I used to be very very good with hecklers, um, but I was always sober. Sometimes I was sober pretending to be drunk. Ah, so okay. Tend to be drunk along with the audience. As they got drunker in the evening, I would kind of sway around a bit and and say I'm drunk too. I I can actually remember saying that, and I absolutely wasn't. <laughs> Gosh, I've never admitted that before. <laughs> Shall we cut this out? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can see myself on the screen flushing. All the comedy secrets are coming out now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's <all> right. <laughs> Yeah, I used to lie on stage. <laughs> so one of the things that I also put in, like one of the questions to you is, um, and I find quite interesting, there's some comics that I think are absolutely incredible. Like, do you know Gatsis Candice and like no. Blair Sarah? But they're, they're comics that aren't, I mean, if you looked at what they say, right, you wouldn't think it was funny. But they deliver, they're... Right. The, what they deliver those lines in such a weird and strange way that it makes it hilarious and yeah. I, I sometimes see on the circuit i'm on i'm not pro or any of that yet but who knows what happened um but the the some of the acts that i see that are doing okay they 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 completely fix their jokes and there's no performance there's no personality it's like if if they gave those jokes to me or another act someone else could do them and do their act and it wouldn't be any different. Right, okay. So your question is? <laughs> uh, I'm meandering a bit there. Uh, I'm saying that... How, okay, how... I, I think I've got a comment I can make about it. Um, uh, Michael McIntyre, um, who I didn't know actually, but um, my mother was deaf and had to have subtitles on shows on the telly and so one night we're watching Michael McIntyre and I laughed chuckling away and she said and she said to me I don't get any of this I don't understand and so I started reading the subtitles I turned the sound down that's it and read the subtitles and I thought oh wow if you're just reading this it's it's not that funny and you need him to give it the delivery and, I, and that was a really interesting lesson. I thought, gosh, he's making this stuff that's, you know, I suppose if you see this is my man draw written out, yeah, that's his famous joke about his man. Yeah, you know, my mother's sitting watching this is my man draw. That's nothing. But here, him going, this is my man draw. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it is all about performance. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, what I was trying to say about meandering was that how can comedians get their material and develop jokes that fit with their act rather than just something that just sounds good on paper that can be taken by anyone? Oh, I see. Well, I, that's interesting because when I 
used to write new jokes when I was and then I'd have to find a place for them in my act and kind of try and rehearse them and the key thing about the joke is putting it in your own words and in your own way so I think um, some because it's quite hard to be a political act but if you take Andy Parsons who's very political but he's got his way of saying things and he kind of gives it all this you know he gives this up and down voice I was at the shot you know President Putin <laughs> you know he would he would give it all this and um, it just lulled the audience and made his political gags seem great but I've seen people try and do political gags and it is way too dry so it, so I suppose to inject personality you've got to take your dry joke and actually try and put your personality and your passion into it you know if if you don't feel passionate about a subject or a, or a joke it's yeah it's it's going to come across so it's, it's being passionate about something is a good good thing to write about anyway because you've got all this kind of natural mental material going on about a subject because you either love it or hate it or are irritated by it you know so I think um, it's passion makes the difference okay because one of the things that I sort of struggle with with comedy is when I go upstage and I try and develop a bit I mm. do you do this podcast just to get in um, <laughs> ideas for your act uh, no, it's a bit of both, bit of both, but uh, bit of both. Do all this to get a bit of advice. <laughs> both, both, but in terms of like helping myself as well, yeah. and in terms of okay. asking questions for other comics, I'll help other people too. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of right. people that want to get better. Yeah, never mind. But, yeah, okay. Uh, well, yeah. The thing that I was saying is when when I go and develop a bit, I just come up with an idea. I write down a piece of paper and I just improvise on stage. That works a lot better than me than when I'm trying to prepare a joke. Like in my mindset, I get too nervous. I get, I think too many different things when I'm trying to write a joke before I go on stage. But whilst oh. I develop something on stage and then try and write it afterwards, that seems to work a bit better. Wow. Do you record it? Yes. I always record my set. And often I find that, I think this is a common thing that I, if, if it goes well, I think I've done better than I have. And if it's gone badly, I've done better than what I think I have. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, the ones, ever, if ever I've heard myself um, on stage, it's always different than I imagined, which is fascinating. So, um, but back in the day, I mean, I think if you had a tape recorder, it would have been a massive thing. It wouldn't have been um, the little things you can take with you now, or you can do it on your phone, presumably. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've sort of forgotten the beginning of the question. <laughs> ah, yeah, so you're improvising it on stage. Well, that's fascinating because I don't think I've ever not tried to get a joke right beforehand. I mean, it, sometimes things have come out differently on stage, but that's quite brave of you. But what you're doing is you've got the adrenaline flowing alongside your new idea. And that's quite that's quite an exciting way to do things. But if it fails, that must be quite hard. And it presumably it must fail sometimes because that's the nature of. It gets a lot worse. Yes, it, than it would if I was. But one yeah. of the things that I tend to do is I have a bit that is written or developed beforehand, in between right. it, so that it's not. Com or right. I try and get it. And sometimes, if I have a script, I'll completely improvise anyway. 
Like I won't. I'll have an idea of it, but I won't like. Okay. Break it word for word. Right. So that that yeah, that's quite a good way of doing it because what I would I used to do was I would stand in my own lounge and say the stuff out loud, even though that's officially mad, I think, to be standing in your lounge saying things out loud. I mean, nobody else was there. Um, but I, and imagining there was an audience there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and, and in that way, the words would come kind of almost naturally. And if it came out in a certain way, I would quickly write it down if I thought, oh, that's a good way of saying it and say it lots of different ways. And the other thing I had was lots of comedian friends to phone up and try the ideas out on. So yeah. I would, so I would get on the phone and we would all help each other out. You know, and it would be daily calls to um, two or three certain friends. Yeah. One of them was Ian Stone. Do you know Ian Stone? He's a bloody amazing act, man. I, I've seen him yeah, quite a lot of yeah, times on stage. And yeah, he's a pretty, from what I hear of him, I hear he's a lovely bloke. He's the most famous person I was sort of quite good friends with. And I still have a little bit of contact with him now. But he, yeah, but he's, he's I went to see him at the comedy store and he was stunning. And his book's great as well. Have you seen him, read his book, his biography? No, not yet. Oh, all right, that's very good. What's it called? Oh. I'll look it up. <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think, yeah, saying, so what you're doing is pushing what I used to do in my lounge out onto the stage, which, which is brave. Yeah. The other thing is new act nights. I think I would play around a bit on, not new act night, new material nights. I don't know if they still do those. Yeah, there used to be a couple of them in London and you could go along and audiences expected you to be trying new stuff and maybe not all of it worked and it, and it was kind of fine. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, there's a loads of them now and there's a lot of bring a night there's, 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 where you have to bring someone in. There's a lot of, okay. um, it's, there's a lot of that now. Um, a lot of the gigs that I've found to be better are the ones outside of London for developing stuff. They give you 10 minutes. There's more likely to be right. an audience. But a lot of the ones in London, uh, especially New Material Nights, some of them... I had one guy, he was just sat behind the bar and he just introduced acts. He's not really a comedian or any of that. He just thought, I'd run, run a comedy and make a bit of money. It was just filled right. with acts. No one wanted to be there. He put no effort into trying hospitality or anything. It was Good. completely disorganised, and when when you and do selling drinks to the acts, yeah, it was. I don't know. It just when when you do gigs like that, it's a bit like there's no point doing it. It's it's a bit like, yeah. and there's sort of the ones that make you want to leave comedy. <laughs> but when you do gigs where it's a good audience and they entertain and you can work with stuff, it's fun. But gigs like that is a bit like it's not really that good for you, mate, because you're not putting any work in. It's not good for the comedians and for what little audience you do get there. It's a terrible experience for them that may put them off comedy. So you're not really winning. You think you're winning by yeah. being clever, but you're not. You're, you're doing a lot of bad things without any foresight. Yeah. And the best thing you can do at a gig like that is to get up and talk about that. Do <laughs> you know what? Yes, I should have. Yeah, seriously. I think I'm saying that because I think I did that once at a, a gig where there was probably four of us um, and two people in the audience so um, and just talked about the actual situation and it got a lot of laughs 
you know, because there was no point doing my act because the other acts had seen it, and you know, yeah. So that's the thing to do. You well, might they might not let you play there again if you if you look at the management, but it's not like you don't want to. <laughs> no, I definitely. That's a very good idea, and I think I will. <laughs> but um, it's yeah. okay. I know that you've got to go in about ten minutes or so. So the what would be your advice for comics that are mostly performance based like I hear with some comics like Sean Walsh and others that they develop a lot of their stuff on stage whilst others are more they prepare a lot of it behind the stage before the stage and then work on it mm -hmm. what would be your advice for comics in those categories for developing writing that works the for screen's them screen's frozen um, so I say the end of that my, the screen froze and I couldn't hear okay so oh, you've frozen can you hear can you see my my head move i can now yeah sorry you uh, cut this bit out right yes <laughs> so one of the things i want to get for comedians that are more performance based and for comedians that are more writing based how what's the best way for them to form that find out their own way of developing jokes that works for them Okay, I think it's what I said earlier, which is passion. So if something's really irritated you today, write about that and really and really allow your passion to to put fuel in it, put ideas in it, put personality in it. And the other way, the other thing I think is um, when you do write a joke, don't just leave it there. Just don't think, oh, okay, I've done my joke. Think, okay, how could I extend this joke? I've got, I found this funny thing. Can I, can I, is there something else similar? Can I push it? And, and so that way you can really take it places. I think now I put an anecdote in the book where I'm in a dressing room and um, myself and Dara O'Brien have both got new jokes. And my new joke was, um, which did work, was about 20 seconds. And his new joke was five minutes, okay? And it's because he just pushed everything to the outer extreme. And I'm not saying that every joke will have more and more in it, but so many of them do. So many of them might, even if it's only another little joke on top, you know, um, and it can lead to other ideas as well. Yeah, so I think that's the way to, to go, passion. Just focus on passion. It's a way. I mean, obviously, if you, um, what you're passionate about, yeah. Because I think audiences sense if you care. And if you care, they care. <laughs> yeah. And what would you say is the worst thing to do with joke writing? <laughs> um, the worst thing to do with joke writing. Well, the worst thing people do is don't put any time in. So they sit there, they go, hmm, I'm going to write some jokes. Oh, no, I can't think of anything. Give up. You know, it's 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 to get focused on the joke and not the time you put in. And I think pre pretty much all the other people, I because I've read quite a few other people's writing, you know, joke writing books or rather writing books, and we all say the same thing, and it's you put the time in, and then what will happen is, if you put the time in, your brain will carry on working after you put your, you do your hour, and it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do something. And I think that's 
partly why I wrote the book because it gives you things to do you know and also if you keep a notebook of things that have irritated you things you've noticed then when you sit down for your hour you open your notebook and you've got these things to write about and the other thing I used to do was this thing called wheeling um, which is where I'd have my subjects so I had five different subjects and I'd look at the first one um, and and it would until I'd just be oh I'm sick of that one move on to the next one and just you know be doing some kind of exercise or thinking of words or thinking of different ways and then be sick of that one move on to the next one and then after the fifth one you go back to the first one and your brain in the meantime would have nine times out of ten come up with a new idea it's carried on working while you were thinking about the other things and the brain is incredible like that so I think the biggest mistake people think make is to not put the time in and to panic when they haven't written a joke within the time oh no I've sat here for an hour actually what you think of it is this is an hour of getting my brain going and the jokes might not come for a few days if I hadn't written jokes for a while I would start on a Monday morning and the jokes would flow by Thursday because I, I needed to crank my brain up you know and so a lot of top acts do an hour a day five days a week and I think that's that's good enough for a good output of jokes and it keeps you on your toes yeah and treat it like a like a workout right imagine your Absolutely. jokes jokes are like you're building a body or something <laughs> you're building and you're building muscles because they're ways of thinking that's what jokes are you know, so you say you asked me about how can people stay within their own style? Well, it's because they're going to keep going with that muscle. And if you've got a way of thinking of things then you can apply it to everything, you know, so I, I don't know. Did you ever see Harry Hill when he was on the circuit? No, I he wish I did. His... Oh, he was he was amazing and he was quirky. Probably the probably the nearest thing is, is, is maybe Milton Jones or someone like that. Although Milton Jones is very pun based, because he he was very much in his own world. He's he built his own character. He had his own heckle put downs. He would never use the standard ones. Like one of them, um, it, it was all within this kind of world. So somebody would say something to him, and he would say something like, um, "You see, you're heckling me now, sir." But I've got a lovely lamb chop in the oven when I get home. And, <laughs> and it was just so bizarre. And, so <laughs> and, and then somebody would say something else. He'd go, and a pork chop too. <laughs> and it was, he just, and that was his world. And so I'm guessing when he sat down and wrote jokes, he had his, his world muscle that he could apply to everything and he had his little characters that were in his act and he he was fantastic he was really great well he still is but obviously he's a huge star now but um so i think it's just exercising your muscle and then if you do write a joke that doesn't seem to fit with your persona then that's when you you get yourself up in your lounge and you start being the persona and working with those words and those ideas until you get it into your persona yeah, I'm getting very angry here, aren't I? It's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waving my arms around. <laughs> what, and what would, what would be the? <clears throat> what, yeah. What? How? How do 
people find out about you and what 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 is the biggest thing that comedy has given you that'd be better oh comedy's given me so much like i said earlier it's the best thing i've ever done it gave me confidence it gave me the first book i ever wrote it gave me a it gave me a, a family of people who we all had the same goals we all supported each other like i said we were all in these cars going up and down motorways to go to funny little gigs in obscure little towns up north and um it gave me a world that was mine like i was you know i worked in an office um i taught um you know software to you know people to use software and so to suddenly be in this world and meet incredible people loads of whom went off in all different directions you know before we were talking about john godillo and there's loads of people who just pop up they're writers they're artists they're in the film world they're comedians you know and i thought oh i used to know them <laughs> because comedy attracts people the movers and shakers because you get up on stage there's an audience there's you there's the microphone it's incredible comedy and it and if you can do it it'll give you everything back hmm. it's a good thing. except money <laughs> ah. <laughs> no uh. <laughs> eventually it gave me i i i think it was after about four to six years i started making a living doing it yeah oh. um so it did it did eventually and then all the offshoots i don't think you can buy confidence you can't buy confidence you know so it gives you something more more mm. than money that you're sitting under a bridge with no home with loads of confidence that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's a good sketch <laughs> <laughs> yeah it gives you a lot really and for everyone that's listening to this podcast is saying Sally Holloway, she is the shit. How 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 do they find out about you? <laughs> Sally Holloway, she's the shit. <laughs> well, I don't know. Someone says, yo, yo, she is good, yeah. Like how do they Is that using the opposites? Is this his modern way of speaking? Everyone should know that I'm <laughs> in my late fifties. Um, is that where you say the opposite? So if I'm the shit, I'm the um I'm the cream. <laughs> um, how do they find out about me um well I, i'm not doing much comedy stuff so there's not much there's the book serious guide to joke writing that's it really i don't do um I, yeah i don't hardly do any comedy stuff i i might do the odd workshop down here in dorset in the community i live in um and I'll put that out if I do. I'll put that out. And there's Facebook. I'm on Facebook as um, Sally Holloway Duffel because Duffel is my real name. And there's oh. two other books, or there's one other main book um, by Sally Duffel, and that's called Grow Your Own HRT, which is a health book about growing um, beans, sprouts, and seed greens to help menopause. And everybody says that it's because it's got a few jokes in it um not many but if you write a science book and you put three jokes in people go this is a hilarious book (laughs) (laughs) they're not expecting it absolutely not expecting it so they go wow this is amazing science book it's really easy to read um so yeah so that's me as sally duffel and then yeah right 
So guys, you know where to follow Sally. Yeah. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you like it, share your friends. Give us a five-star view on Amazon or iTunes. Give us 10, actually. And also, um, most importantly, subscribe. Take care, everyone. Uh,